Big Safety Podcast with Vance and Bart. I have to say, I don't know how we were able to accomplish it, but last week's episode deconstructing critical race theory was a lot more successful than I thought it would be. What theory? <laughs> oh, was that? <laughs> I forget what I forget which theory we we were breaking down, but uh, wasn't it wasn't it that one? It may have been flux capacitor, critical race, one of those two. It all gets mixed Time together. Travel. I, I feel like I feel like everyone's talking about one of those two things. Yeah, the life of Brian was about critical race theory. It was. There was blackface in it. So, are you, wait? Is that the one where the guy? He's like, he goes to the college to play football, but he's kind of a small guy. And then the end of the movie is him like being able to finally play football. Is that the life of Brian? Where are they on the shoulders? Yeah, yeah, Cuba. yeah. Cuba. Cuba. No. No. That was radio. That was radio. That, the life of radio. All right. Right to us. We're, I think we're on the verge of something. I think we're but, close. Yeah. Right to us, please. Ron Paul, I know you're listening. Straighten us out on this one. The life of Ron Paul. <laughs> right. <laughs> I know you're listening, buddy. Hey, Michael Malice, uh, can you do the life of Ron Paul in the style of Dear Leader? I would love to read that. <laughs> There's nothing better than poking fun of your, uh, your favorites as well. You know, equal opportunity offenders. Yeah, I I feel like that would be great if you just had a monologue of the debate between Ron Paul and Rudy Giuliani, and then you had like Rudy as the the Uncle Sam, just like the freedom American hat guy, and then Michael Malice dressed up like the Kim Jong-il but saying the Ron Paul stuff I feel like that would, that would be hilarious <laughs> and, I, and we might be the only people who get it <laughs> but that would be great it would be great and I have to imagine anyone who's like furiously typing away right now in their email client sending us a note and like a link to IMDB on Rudy they don't they don't understand that we see them and recognize that they know how funny that is as well. And that they will probably also think that this idea is funny that you recut the movie Rudy, where every time he shows up on screen, it's instead Rudy Giuliani. <laughs> Getting his ass kicked by some. <laughs> Some Texas doctor. Um, 
but onto our topic. So the broken window fallacy is what they call it, right? Um, you've heard of this part, I'm sure. I have. I have. Um, but when you really break down the broken window fallacy, you see the state just completely surrounds what they do. They surround this fallacy. They, they bring it into almost everything they, they do. Um, besides just genocide and other, the foreign policy stuff. But what they'll do is like, uh, um, you know, corn or whatever. The 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 they'll subsidize corn, so people who grow corn don't don't grow it, or they do grow it to make it cheaper, which makes other stuff more expensive because they're not growing what they would have grown otherwise. Um, you've got things like, uh, um, the infrastructure or whatever with Jobs, government, bills, They'll, right? Yeah. They, they Job want creation. To, yeah. They, when things get bad, they go broken window fallacy. They go, we're gonna do an infrastructure bill. And all that does is takes not only money from the private industries that are creating jobs, but the manpower and drives up the cost of manpower. The people who are labor people will be like, oh, but that's good because, you know, the rich people aren't getting rich and the but what they're forgetting is the rich people are getting rich. The people who don't have to put up any of their capital for their business idea take manpower from people who do put up their money and they go, fuck you, I'm competing against you for labor and I'm using your money to do it and I'm getting richer because of it and if we can't take any more money from you because they people aren't willing to raise taxes or whatever we'll just print a bunch of it making the dollars you already have worthless so fuck you well, the, the, the thing that you're getting at is actually, uh, it, it's not an oversimplification to say that one of the primary drivers of inflation is the broken window fallacy, because so many of these things that could be attributed to that very fallacy drive that money printing operation. So... Not only are there a ton of examples of those items that contribute to 
inflation directly. Mm-hmm. But there are a ton of those things that then loop all the way back around and are affected by inflation and then also drive inflation. Some of which, like a, an example being like the never ending conversation around the minimum wage, right? It's this, Correct. this loop of driving inflation, which then drives the fallacy which then drives inflation and it's just sort of a feedback loop. So right, the government takes enough wealth out of the system to protect their, you know, their donors and whatnot, right? Uh, the big corporations, they, they take enough wealth out of the system that people are not competing with the big dogs. And then they go, Hey, we're going to raise the minimum wage and, and people, because they don't have the time to know economics and whatever they go. Fuck. Yeah. I could use more money, but money isn't anything. It's only what you can purchase with it. So what they don't realize is when they get more money, the purchasing power goes down. Therefore the people at the bottom are still in the same fucking boat. It's just that all the middle class who are going to compete with the top dogs who are raking in the cash out of fucking you over can't compete with them now. And you're in the same boat. The middle class is fucked. That's what happened. You brought the middle class down. You are no better. The upper class is raising. Therefore, all you're doing is bringing the middle class down to poverty. The upper class is going up. And and let me let me steel man the argument a little bit here. So I, I think it's pretty easy to get lost in the conversations around uh you know, the, the archetype billionaire that we put on TV, the Elon Musk, the Jeff Bezos, the Bill Gates, mm-hmm. whatever. But one of the things that they all have in common would likely be true of any millionaire, multimillionaire, billionaire, in that their money is not hoarded in a cave somewhere that they lord over like a dragon and it's gold. It oh, is no. in the market itself. So let's just to like even steel man this argument, right? Let's, let, let's give them the benefit of the doubt and say, okay, if you have what you want, even, even the most altruistic billionaire is likely putting their money into the market. Let's say that they don't have any of those things that we know, you know, Elon mm-hmm. and Jeff and all of them participate in, which are some cronyism some corporatism like pull all that pull that away it'd be absolutely stupid for them to keep it in a a a deflating currency they have to be investing it into something so if you if you only analyze two people completely pure altruistic people who are just simply keeping their money in in two different places one being a billionaire who keeps the majority of their wealth in the market the other being a lower middle class person 
who has found a way to scrape together $100 to put in their savings account. Mm-hmm. When you print more money, that person who has $100 in their savings account now has less spending power, not only than what they did before, but even more so in relation to the billionaire whose value has gone up, not stayed right. stagnant. It's not even neutral. It's gone right. up. Right. So, yeah, the richest of the rich continue to gain wealth because the de- devaluation of the middle class gets distributed through that. Because when you print the money, the inflation has not occurred yet. What you have to do is introduce that money into the market to to introduce the inflation. So you could just print money and keep it in a reserve. And then the devaluation would only be the the theoretical idea of the introduction of it or there would be some sort of uh devaluation of the currency because people would speculate that you were going to release it into the market but it wouldn't be the same whereas as it's released to the big banks to the already super wealthy they reinvest it and what they do and they they loan it out interest rates and whatnot and they just make money on, on it beyond what they put into it and they be, they become more wealthy they're they're spending um their their spending power goes up when you start to think about it in just dollars and cents and whatnot you get distracted from this and that's what public school tries to do but when inflation is at the rate that it is today i think it's a little harder for it to be scared and i hope that people are starting to understand that we could be extremely wealthy the middle class today could be if you look at dubai before they started taxing just a few years ago and everybody's driving bentley's people like normal people have helicopters and shit they don't have the production value that the u.s has not even close at the Productive value of the United States of America, we should be way better off than those people. People at Baskin Robbins should be driving there in a Bentley if they want to, which is stupid if they do because cars are pieces of shit, but they should have that option. They've earned it. They put that productive value into the, into the world. But it, it's been sucked away. And that reminds me, uh, I forgot to read this week's ad. This week's episode is brought to you by Bentley. If you're not driving there in a Bentley, you're not driving towards liberty. 
I take that back about the car sucking. <laughs> Blue Chew, get a boner while you're driving your Bentley. <laughs> Squarespace. Mm-hmm. With thousands of beautiful templates, award-winning customer support. You can design a website on the monitor inside your Bentley. With a boner. On your way to Baskin Robbins. <laughs> that's right. Got to do your job. Well, it, so, I, and that's you, you, you bring up something and you, and I think it was, I think it's worth noting this because I think in your mind, you kind of gloss over this, but a lot of people see that almost as an imbalance and they, they it's, it's important that we not skip over this. Someone driving to Baskin-Robbins in a Bentley isn't as imbalanced as we're making it out to be, right? Like if, if wealth was truly moving in the way that it was right. supposed to, the exorbitant cost of a Bentley wouldn't be an absurd risk for them to take as a ratio of their right, income, because it's, right? a, it's a shitty car with really nice interior that's what it is right uh, so somebody with the productive the value that that car brings to the world is worth what the guy you know the guy who's way into cars who works at baskin robbins is willing to spend so he gets a bentley a, there's a reason why more millionaires own an F-150 than any other vehicle in the world. It's, it's because it's a pickup truck, a small pickup truck, can do almost anything. It's a, it's a very practical vehicle. And it comes with a free bag of millions of dollars. <laughs> right. It's kind, of a, it's kind of a shortcut that most of the internet doesn't know about. They, don't, they just don't know. And so people who are that mind, who have a million dollars, who do it the productive way, not the theft way, tend to buy F-150s or, you know, Silverados or what. I mean, F-150 happens to be the, the one, but like, like 1500 style pickup trucks. Can so, I also give a quick shout out to my correlation does not equal causation nerds? Cause I know that they're probably shouting, but, but wait, aren't these guys like doing construction likely to be self-made millionaires? And in that event, that, that's probably why they're gearing towards that vehicle. Uh, yeah. That's a better conversation, but sit with that for like five minutes and you'll come to the same conclusion and realize that actually makes our point even stronger, but go on. Right. Hey, yeah. Whether they're doing construction that's caused by the fact that we've printed a lot of money. So therefore we're building skyscrapers or whatever people, people with that kind of mindset will buy the vehicle that works for whatever situation you put in front front of them the f-150 is the one at the moment um 
it's not a Bentley. You know, the, the guy working Baskin Robbins who care, cares about the chick he's picking up. Like, that's the guy who buys a Bentley. So the Bentley is actually worth less, really, in the scheme of things. But, you know, the, the, the way that we've obscured the market, we've made it so effed up, to, to, for lack of a better word. Well, there are overlapping markets here, though, because you just said for him to pick up chicks, right? So if he goes with ice cream in hand, getting off of his shift, supply and demand is why uh, he, he's, I think, getting something a bit more rare than the guy <laughs> in the F-150 is getting. Right. I mean, but then you could look at Bentley and say, you know, they're going to want to be um elite so they're going to raise their prices beyond the baskin robbins guy right but are they i mean because if you look at if you look at what's going on in dubai they're not um because they're getting a fair rate for their vehicle because of because of the eliteness of it. But if they didn't have to worry about that, like that image, would they really go for it? Would they or would they just be cool with like I, I don't know. I mean, that's that's their business model. They could go either way with that. You know, they 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 pride themselves on, oh, we keep the cow. So if your leather gets messed up, we can the same leather we can replace it with. It's in a vault, your name. But like Bentley's get old. They don't just keep them forever. You know what I mean? So like well they do. They just throw that leather in the dumpster. Like it before it went in the dumpster, it was worth tons of money because you spent way too much on your car. And then when it went in the dumpster, it was worth trash. Right. So let's talk about the broken window fallacy because at least that brought up, there was a value to it. It was the eliteness of whatever, right? Like uh, a lot of people try to say that um, Mises and Bitcoin can't go together because Mises said there has to be some sort of intrinsic value for something to become currency. But the intrinsic value was brought upon by the fact that there wasn't a viable currency around that you could deal with in an everyday transaction that wasn't a government-controlled currency. That's why Bitcoin became something. That was the intrinsic value. It was the fact that the government could did not have control over it. And that's what a lot of people miss when they try to do the so-called 
um, economic numbers with Bitcoin, where they, they well, what was the intrinsic value? You know, like with gold, it was the, you could use it was very conductive or it was used for jewelry before whatever, right? But it doesn't mean you have to be able to quantify it because something being conductive or shiny, those yeah. can be valuable, but to quantify those would be very difficult in the same way that it being in and of itself free from government overreach is valuable. To right. put a number that, on that is that's very the shiny. That's, right. That's the shiny. That's conductive. That's all yeah, that. Right. And I think that's what a lot of people miss with Bitcoin in the liberty movement is the fact that, like, well, Mises said that it could, you know, not saying that Mises is infallible, but he didn't get this wrong. Just because Bitcoin became a thing doesn't mean that he got this wrong because he says that it has to be established as a as a value before it becomes a currency getting away from government had been established as a value before bitcoin was introduced bitcoin just filled that void so It was it, it was already valuable before it existed, which is even better than gold. Right. Well, because people people sometimes I think equate intrinsic value with something that needs to be either quantifiable or even one step further to say that it's tangible. Because people think about gold or they think about silver, you know, precious metals, this or that. Right. But ideas people have a hard time placing value on them but services are something that we can say are incredibly valuable right your right. effort your labor your services those are valuable and it provides a service that inherently is valuable in and of itself right it's a ledger it's a service and it it could be uh, more valuable to other people like the fact that it is it annoys the government adds a level of value to me that it doesn't add to a lot of people well and um, value is only it's this is sort of a, a rephrasing of beauty is in the eye of the beholder but value is somewhat fleeting in the idea that for a currency to have intrinsic value is sort of defined by who attributes value to it. Mm -hmm. So if it inherently has value to you as a person who wants to annoy the government, mm -hmm. then that's enough, especially if you want to use that in a voluntary exchange with another person who finds value in that currency annoying the government. Exactly. Like there's a lot of ways that I will spend a US federal note to annoy the government. I do it all the time. What through donations, through um 
encryption software that I know annoys them through. There's tons of ways that I annoy the government with their own federal note. This is a way that I can buy another note (laughs) with their federal note that I can annoy them and make wealth upon it. (laughs) So like the gift that keeps on giving. Yeah. One of the few ways that I can do that, that's that in itself is like the fact that I can make wealth upon annoying, you know, uh, on top of annoying the feds is another wealth to me. So like, right. Wealth, wealth in itself. And right. the the freedom that it grants you is in itself valuable as well. And like, we can just tear down the argument, just like do give the final death blow here, right? Like let's go back to gold. The, mm-hmm. the conductivity of gold, if I don't find it inherently valuable, then that means it doesn't have intrinsic value. Right. right? If I don't, if I'm not going to use it as a conductor, and I'm not going to sell it to somebody who does. And I'm not going to sell it to somebody who's somebody who does. You know, like I'm right. getting further away from the value of that. Right. Because we're we talking go about further down the line. Um, right. Because so, we're talking about things that are fairly relative, right? In the same way that we're talking about the economy and inflation moving in a direction being mm-hmm. relative, it's the same thing when we're talking about value. It's all relative to what you find valuable and what you as an individual and other people in your group agree is valuable. And that's what makes it a currency. Right. Yeah. And the bigger, you know, with the currency, the bigger the group, the, the better. And yeah, we've got countries that are, <laughs> you know, passing laws that Bitcoin is just as valuable as the U S dollar there or whatever. So, uh, I think it's here to stay for a while, whether it's here to stay for a long time or not. I mean, it's, it's a, um, it's technology based, man. (laughs) Shit changes, but the fact that I can watch the changes and move my wealth from here to there freely without a government control, instead of just accepting that I'm going to lose, you know, five, seven percent of the value of me <laughs> every year, that's pretty valuable to me. Um, so, way to go, Bitcoin. So I was thinking about this broken window fallacy at work uh, today. They were having me do things that were well under my skill level, but um, things I could do, and I did them. The people who were in charge of the situation were not... mm, up to the task of uh, acquiring the tools and the 
materials necessary to do the project. Not saying that they are not good at doing something that they do, but this task, not so much. But nobody put a lot of value to this task because it was just like whiteboards and things up in the office and just didn't seem that important right to them and i'm sitting back and i'm i'm getting the material and i'm looking at the project and i'm like oh because i do know remodeling construction things like that i'm thinking oh this is stupid <laughs> the way that we're doing this but you know i'll try And I did. I tried. I tried to do it their way. And I was down on the ground on my knees in the middle of the floor. A bunch of office people around me. And I'm doing this the wrong way. And I know it's the wrong way. But I'm trying to appease them. They, you know, they pay my checks and whatnot. And then people few people started coming up like, oh, you're doing a good job looking down at me. And it, I could tell they weren't really thinking that because for one, I was only putting trim around some whiteboards that I built. It wasn't that big of a deal. It's just that the way they were having me do it, it was impossible. It wasn't going to work. It, I knew it from the get go. I got sick of it. So I went home, I got the right tools and I came back and I got half of them done and the hose to my air compressor broke. And I went looking around the office and I said, um, you know, anybody got an air compressor hose or whatever? Nobody, nobody did. Superintendent said, uh, what you looking for? Oh, I'm looking for an air compressor hose. Well, I wish we were in Ace Hardware, but we're not. I don't think he knew that I went and got my own tools to do the job. So I said, yeah, I get that. Because if you were in Ace Hardware, I wouldn't have had to go home to get my own tools. I just let it go at that. <clears throat> but the reason I'm doing all this in the office, we came, by the way, we came to an understanding. I got it all done. Everybody's happy. Is because somebody stole the power cable to my crane. So they went up to the power cable, cut it, cut it in another spot, took it, recycled it. Okay, so if we go by what most people believe is true, the broken window fallacy, not only has everybody gotten richer due to like making a new cable, installing a new cable, whatever, but the person who stole it got richer because they recycled that cable. Then the recycling place got richer 
because they sold that recycled metal back. So in the world of the broken window fallacy, theft is even better than breaking. Oh, yeah, because then the window gets rich. Right. And that's what I'm sitting here thinking about the broken window fallacy and I'm looking at my crane and I go, holy shit. Like if that were true, these people think that the broken window fallacy is real. And then beyond that, they haven't even thought that like if you stole it, like you can like that other person got rich too. But none of that's None of that's real. And I think that the fact that like the people who believe it don't want to get shit stolen from them might make them wake up to the idea that like you're fucking wrong. (laughs) Because if you're right, then you should keep your windows, your doors, your car unlocked because we would all get richer if more people stole our shit. Well, let's let's appeal to that that side, right? Because we we often get um, painted with a fairly broad brush of only thinking about ourselves or thinking about the individuals. So, like, let's think about the greater good and that logical conclusion that you've reached there, right? Mm-hmm. Do we believe if if let's say we're not primarily motivated by the individual? And our liberty, we're motivated by the greater good for a mm-hmm. second. If we're motivated by the greater good, do we believe that theft makes the world a better place because inherently it makes everyone richer? If so, the logical conclusion you must reach is that theft is inherently good. Right. Which seems to be the way that it's gone. I mean, we have government that steals. We have people that are so poor that they steal. We have a middle class that's fleeting because it's being stolen from. So through propaganda... It is happening. But do you really believe that that's right? Is what I think what you're trying to ask. And and I think that I think that in effect they have and when I say they, I, I mean most people. Uh, right. Sort of most most like non- liberty leaning or or kind of your average person in in let's say um, the west the average person does think that that's right likely because they're not asking that question though right because mm-hmm. if i you know we talk about uh some you know some law enforcement officer who guards the arbitrary boundaries of some small town we call them speed trap towns Mm -hmm. the idea that i can arbitrarily 
lower the speed limit drastically and and exploit that for revenue generation. So that mm-hmm. is is theft. And the the idea of you know the the phrase taxation is theft can animate um, probably some of our favorite crowds. I'm sure uh, I'm sure you know a few weeks back being at Porkfest, we probably saw a handful of signs that said something similar to that. So taxation is theft is something that your average person would look at and go, okay, yeah, whatever. But I like the idea of positing that question, like really going down that that path and saying, do you believe theft is inherently good? Not do you believe taxation is theft? Because we can have that discussion, I think, another day. But let's at least yeah. make sure that we agree on the foundational principle of do you believe that theft is inherently good? Right. Because I think that we've had that discussion about is taxation theft a zillion times. And I'm sorry, communist people, whatever. You've lost. I mean, we'll have it again. We'll debate you. But we're going beyond that at this moment. We're going back to basics. Do you think that it's good to steal or bad to steal? It's back to first principles, right? It's about the very principle of theft in itself. The The first principles... Without an economics understanding at all, just do you think it's good or bad? So here we are. What do you think? Bart, you understand that if you came and stole the power cable to my crane, that the value that you got from that power cable would not be anywhere close to the value that you took from the production value of the crane, the people who needed the crane, the installation of the crane, the, the, the factory that made the cable to, which is why I should have taken up the whole the crane. crane. Right. Uh, and it, <laughs> right. It, and if you wanted to um, receive the value of all those things together, you would become a crane operator, not somebody who cut power cables to cranes. So... Um, but you just put things together. I make the world richer. Do you? <laughs> well, theft is inherently good. Is it? It creates jobs. I made you richer. I made the cable factory richer. I made the recycling plant richer. 
but I just named all the places that you uh, hurt productivity, which in brings down jobs. Ah, the the unseen. The unseen by some, but not by me. So, can you see the unseen? Do you see the the fallacy in the broken window fallacy? Do you understand that when somebody says that, oh, this machine is going to make us not have jobs anymore, make us poor, make us whatever, it's a fallacy. It's not true. This machine is going to make people more valuable. People are involved in the machine. I guess there there is a theory that at some point there will be a machine that there there is no human involvement in. It'll be made by a machine. It'll be um upkept by a machine all the materials that go into it will be created by a machine and then it's there is a theory that like at some point the human involvement will not be in the production but but it's still founded on an abstraction of human technological advancement right yeah and at that point is it yeah right is does the past become the value because the machine doesn't care you know what i mean like so does the past become the value the do my kids get to uh live a life of luxury because I brought humanity to this point. I don't, I don't know how it's going to work out, but like I certainly would be, want to be on that side, <laughs> you know? Uh, well, champagne problems, right? I would love to be at a place where humans have so few needs that we're worried about producing value. Right. We have the Stalinist view where we just need to be at work. So break a window or build a statue to me. And then, so from a socialist point of view, that, that works, that that's, that's a job that has a value and, you know, we're doing it. So it doesn't matter what it is. It's it's from the worker's point of view. Where, whereas the free market is from the consumer's point of view. So it would be, I don't give a shit about a statue. Give me something that matters. And then you end up getting, you know, the iPhone, the TV, the uh, uh you know the the 
the fucking whatever. I I, mean, I hate to say houses because houses have been stunning. It's like, or you, you could things do- like you get good insulation in your homes or new windows or whatever, as opposed to you know what you get the other way, where it the value is is you have to buy this because the government told you to and I'm going to do it as cheaply and as inefficiently as I can because I have no, there's no incentive to do it any other way. What if you choose neither and just steal the statue? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And the statue, right. You just bring the statue back. That's even worse. Like if I am producing something valuable to society, but I have no incentive to do it well, they're just kind of, but then the contract comes up and I could fulfill it. Stop producing what's valuable to society first aid you know i'm doing band-aids or bandages for wounds and i could build this awesome statue to the leader who could provide me with wealth because at this point i'm just destined to get x amount so I make this amazing statue to my leader and my leader goes, awesome. I'd like you to be head of, you know, first aid for the country. And, you know, here's, here's your budget or whatever, you know, now I've became, not only have I became wealthy, but I became extremely powerful and I can hold down anybody who knows anything about the things that I know so they can't compete with me because I'm the head of that and I've insured my family's you know future for a while so my selfish actions the same actions that would have made me produce good for the world have made me produce these evils for the world. The exact same incentives. Because one is top down and one is, I guess you could call it bottom down, but I call it consumer, you know, down. Because uh, I, I feel, and most people that have intellectuals that were around during the Enlightenment feel that the, the consumer is the top. It doesn't make sense for it to be any other way. Two things around the theft piece. One is the person stealing the cable, the person stealing the statue, we almost put them in the category of the consumer, but we put them there because they just happen to not be the producer. But 
they're neither. They're sort of an externality and someone who's been poorly incentivized. And they're the state. Right. So they are an extension of the state, even if they are an individual. They are an extension right. of inflation. They are an extension of the state, whatever that happens to be, even if they are a human actor. Right. You can be the shittiest person and you're going to be at the bottom of whatever social situation you're ever going to be in. You could be that piece of shit. You're still worse off like this. I'm telling you, if you go through the scenarios in your head or in, in, in past experiences in economics, at your worst, you're better off in laissez-faire free market situation. You're going to be, there's going to be more technology. It's going to be more freely given to people who have less because the people, the middle class will have more. And and, um, the, the super rich don't have, not only do they not have the means to fix whatever else anybody but like the middle class is is there they're closer to the poor they're around them more they live closer to them they they can feel the needs of the poor better if these people are doing well and not worried about their families eating they're a lot more likely to be generous with the resources they have and they know where to um where to use these resources more more effectively so um these are all little issues that that tear down the idea of just work is is creating wealth because work doesn't create wealth and producing new things creates wealth if i've already built you the window if i break your fucking window the next day and then build you another one and charge you again and doesn't make us more wealthy it makes us more poor there's nothing new about that. The, the only thing that can create more wealth is like, I created this window for you and it's really awesome. And because I did it for you, I figured out I could do it faster if I cut this out or did this, did that. That's what creates more wealth. The idea that I've done this now. I can streamline it. Just look at everything that us middle-class people do. We, we find a niche where we're good at it and we do it better. And the, the sad fact is like we do it better. And then we just keep our jobs where if it wasn't for the, the fucking bullshit that we're the, the government that we're dealing with, 
We wouldn't just keep our jobs. We'd be fucking gods in the fields. And they would be, they would have to pay us tons of money because that's what we're worth. Because all of our wealth is being stolen by regulators and whatever. You never get to realize what you're really worth. And we never get to drive the innovation that creates that final, ultimate M. Night Shyamalan window. Right. The incentive of, of where we got in life isn't there for the people who are stealing the power cables. They're not seeing middle-class people driving Bentleys. So how do we prevent theft if people inherently believe that theft is good? Building something, learning something, doing something is reality. Stealing from other people? You're just the government. It's a trap. There's no comfort in a fake safety.